Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of the Western PA Sports Blog Podcast. I'm joined by a special guest here, TJ Wiley, a native of Titusville, PA, and one of the best to ever do it for the Titusville Rockets football program. TJ, I appreciate you giving me the time, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me on there, Nate. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, we had some Elk County folks on to kind of start the episodes. You know, I appreciate all those folks, and obviously I know that you have a tie to Elk County as well. You know, your family has rich ties to the area and stuff like that. Uh, but for you, you know, you grew up in Titusville, very athletic family. I want to know how that's impacted your life and love for the game of football because obviously you've gone on to do some pretty special and important things uh, in the game. Well, actually, I didn't grow up in Titusville. I went to high school in Titusville. Okay. Um, Having my dad as, as a high school head coach, we bounced around all over the state of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he got his start, as you know, uh, at Ridgeway High School. Had great success there in the uh, early to mid-70s with those dynasty teams of uh, Ridgeway's lore and past um, and did great things there. And then he bounced around getting head coaching jobs. He was at Clearfield for a short time, for four years, had a lot of success there. And then he moved on to Danville, Pennsylvania, out in the eastern part of the state. Um, small town about 40 miles south of uh, Williamsport, out by Bloomsburg University. That's where I grew up. I, I went through um, first grade through ninth grade in uh, Danville. Dad had a lot of success out there, too. He took over a struggling program and, um, you know, had a, a good bit of success, won a district championship, um, took a team. Um, in 1988, we were the number one ranked team in the state for like seven weeks. They ended up 10 and three. They were the Eastern Conference champions. Um, that was the first year of the state playoffs and they opted to go Eastern conference instead of the state playoff route. Um, but dad gave them a lot of success. So my whole childhood, I dreamed of being the Danville Ironman quarterback and, you know, I was the ball boy. I was the water boy. And my dream was to wear purple and orange, the the Danville colors and, and, and be an Ironman, you know, forever. And, you know, I had a very successful eighth grade season my class was loaded in everything. We were very good in all sports. And my dad knew we were coming. And he went through a three-year rough patch. It was probably his three toughest years in his tenure out at Danville. And you know how it goes when, when you're a coach and things don't go your way sometime. You know, we, we kind of felt as a family, it, it hurt our family when dad was fired. Ultimately, dad got fired after my freshman year. Um you know, and it was crushing. And we felt like, you know, at least me as a, as a ninth grade kid, 14 year old kid, I felt like Danville had kicked our family to the curb, like garbage. And, you know, didn't want my dad anymore. And, you know, they didn't fire him as a coach or as a uh, teacher, excuse me. Um, and he laid out the options for our whole family. I'll never forget that night. He came home the day he was let go. And, you know, he, he took me and my sister and mom aside and said, Hey, here, here's what happened. Um, you know, here are three options. My sister was a senior at the time, so it really didn't impact her as much. And he said, T, we, we, they didn't fire me as a teacher. We can stay here in Danville. You can play here, have a great career here. We can move to Berwick. We can move to Southern Columbia. We can move to Mount Carmel. You could, you know, we could live there. You could have a great career there. Or I look for a job if, if you want me to be your head coach. And you know, I grew up my whole life with my dad being the head coach, and I always dreamed of playing for him. And as a 14-year-old punk kid, I made the decision for my family to move. I, I ultimately made that decision. Um, we didn't know it was Titusville at that moment, so dad put out applications and looked
looked for jobs and interviewed. And believe it or not, with your deep District 9 ties, you may not know this, it came down to Titusville and Bradford. Really? My dad was my dad was offered the Bradford job too. And believe it or not, I wanted to move to Bradford more than Titusville. Um, I went with my dad almost on like recruiting trips when he went to these towns so I could get a look at the town, get a feel of the town, and just I, I don't know what it was. I think when we when we looked at Titusville, it was kind of a rainy, overcast, cloudy day. And I just, I, I was feeling Bradford more. I was like, I just see myself here. Well, ultimately, dad gets the Titusville job. And, you know, the older I get, the more I believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, all the hardship that we went through out of Danville and went going through that very difficult time with dad being let go, he gets the Titusville job, becomes arguably their best coach in school history, um, he's, I think, the all-time winning percentage holder there. I'm the school's all-time leading passer. I set all the records up there. Um, I was District 10's first 4,000-yard passer. Um, you know, I met my wife there. My sister met her husband there. Titusville gave me everything in life, um, and it's just I love that place. So I didn't grow up there, but I'm a very proud alum. When people ask me where I'm from, I say Titusville, Pennsylvania. Even though I didn't grow up there, I am proud to say that I'm a Titusville Rocket, and, and I definitely bleed brown and gold for sure. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you kind of filling me in on that. You know, I, I didn't kind of realize all those different things, and it's kind of crazy how, you know, one move impacted your family, you know, so heavily, um, you yeah. know, and, you know, truly it was a shot, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen, and, you know, everything lined up super well for you guys, and that's and, just and amazing. Dad, dad knew nobody. And yeah. Like, you know, a lot of times when you get these jobs, it's like, you know, you know somebody or there's a tip from somebody. There was a small tip, I guess. I should say that. With Dad being in the coaching game, you get to know college recruiters very well. And there was a guy by the name of Jack Fisher who coached at Lock Haven University. And he and my dad really became good friends when Jack Fisher would come on the recruiting trails out to, uh, to Danville. And he's the one that told my dad about Titusville. He said, hey, that's, that, that was my high school. Um, they have an opening, but we knew nobody else there. Dad put his name in on a whim, out interviewed everybody, and, and like I said, the rest is history. Um, you know, I had a great career there. Um, you know, not like just me personally. I mean, yeah, I put I put up good numbers and set the records and all that, but just the friendships and the bonds and the uh, relationships that I made up there. Believe it or not, I was just actually up there today. Their new high school coach, Mike Reynolds, who was one of my dad's former assistants. He's going into his first year. He had actually had me in today to speak to the team and like work with the team a little bit. And what an honor that was like, you know, to, to kind of come back and, and kind of be looked at as one of the greats in, in program history and get to talk to those kids about what I think it takes to be a Titusville football player. Um, it meant a lot. So definitely that program, like, you know, when I think of all the things that I've done in my life, when it went when, in terms of football, the best it ever was was at Carter Field in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Well, that's awesome. I love to hear that. It's really cool, kind of a full circle moment for you. Uh, you know, you moved away from there after you know after uh, high school and everything, but that's definitely a full circle moment for you to be able to go in that locker room and impact those guys. So that's definitely really cool. And you know, I'm glad that you've had that moment today. That's that's pretty ironic uh, that you yeah. had the chance to yeah. go back today when we're speaking today. 
Um, when did you start playing the game of football? I'm sure that football was in your hands from the earliest memory you ever have. But, you know, the landscape of football is a little bit different today. I mean, goodness gracious, they got kids playing flag when they're barely walking. And, you know, they had some kids playing tackle when they're seven. But what was the landscape like when you started playing? Well, it, it, it's a funny story. I mean, like, actually playing organized football, I wasn't allowed. My dad didn't let me play until I was in sixth grade. He felt that sixth, seventh grade was about the right time for a young kid to play. And uh, I always fought him on that. I wanted to play for some of the youth teams in the area and things of that nature. But my two best friends growing up, they lived four houses down from me. Um, Their names were Zach and Rocco Adrian. They were brothers. Their dad was the head football coach at Bloomsburg University, but they lived in Danville. We would go into the backyard when I was like in first grade, Zach was in second grade, and Rocco was in fourth grade. He was older than us. Me and Zach would play against Rocco, full pads. We hit each other like no other, bloody noses all the time. Sometimes we'd go out with no chin straps, but, you know, we were fully geared up. So, I mean, I was running into people with pads on from when I was like seven years old. Um, But sixth grade was the first time I played organized football, you know, played every year up until I was, heck, 26 years old. Um, And the year, though, I really fell in love with it. I mean, I always loved football. I was actually more of a basketball player growing up. Um, Really loved basketball. I was kind of viewed in Danville. I I remember going to a a little youth camp, and I was the MVP of the camp. And the guy that ran the camp was like, this kid's going to be a future 1,000-point scorer and all that. And, you know, I loved basketball and everything, and I loved it so much. Going into eighth grade, I I did. I remember having a talk with my dad. I was like, Dad, what if I just focus on basketball? And, you know, thinking dad as the football coach would be like, oh, you know. And this is just my dad. This just kind of paints a picture of him. He's like, T, do do what makes you happy, man. He was like, if that's what you want to do, do it. Well, ultimately, I did play eighth grade football. Me and my classmates, we ended up going 10 and 1. Um, we beat Berwick. Like we, we did some really good things. That, like I said, out in Danville, and that's when I fell in love with it. Like the, football is just different to me. And I know some people love the sports they're affiliated with, but just just what football does, like the camaraderie and, and the atmosphere and just the grind of it. I fell in love with the grind of football too. Like I like actually the hard part of football. Like I love the working out and pushing yourself to the breaking point. I just fell in love with that and felt that football gave that to me more. And so I would say at eighth grade, 1993, is when I kind of made like football my identity. Like TJ Wiley, I'm going to be a football player. So I would say eighth grade, um, but I've been playing, like I said, since seven with those two guys. Um, and those were some great memories. My mom always even talks about that, like looking in the backyard and the three of us are just running into each other and doing this, that, and whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been my whole life, man. I mean, it's and, – and this is kind of a cool story, too. When I interview for football jobs, you know, this is kind of what I always lead with. I was born on a Friday in the month of September. How much more high school football does it get than that? You know, so it's like I, – I was. I was born on a game day. My dad was an assistant at North Hills the day I was born in 1979, and it was the only game that North Hills lost that year in the regular season the day I was born – Dad ended up going to the game, and my mom gave him some some stuff about that. Like, you're going to leave me? And he's like, you, you seem like you're doing good. I'm going to go to the game. Well, Mark Kelso, my godfather, and I know you're going to get to that a little bit later on, was on that North Hills team. 
And still to this day, he'll call me on my birthday and be like, 42 years ago today, we lost a gateway because of you. I'm like, thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. So, again, I, I, so I was born on a game day on a Friday night in September. So football is 100% in my blood. Yeah. No, that's crazy. <clears throat> Definitely crazy that you were born. I mean, just what you were born to do. You know, and you're still yeah, doing it to yeah. this day. You might not be playing, but I know you're still around it. You know, you have a son coming up through, and he's going to assume be a, you know, a varsity player. You've had several different coaching, you know, opportunities throughout your career. So, yeah, this is just who you are, man. It's a huge part of your identity, so no question about it. Um, after a great career at Titusville, you go to Teal. You still remain one of the best to ever play at Teal, especially from a quarterback, you know, perspective. Um, I want to go back to your recruiting process. Uh, why was Teal the right fit for you? Um, you know, how how much fun was it to play there for those four years? Well, I, I came from a different, you know, situation having my dad as a head coach. And, you know, I saw so many of my dad's players pick the wrong school or they bit off more than they could chew and maybe went somewhere bigger and try to play, you know, Division One, AA or Division Two when they could they should have been a D three guy. Now I was getting pretty I wouldn't say heavily recruited. I'm only a five foot eight quarterback and that's what always hurt me in the recruiting process. I had so many recruiters and other coaches tell me, Oh, if you're only six foot man, I mean, I was told my senior year, Tim Janoco at Clearfield High School who took over for my dad. My dad actually hired Tim Janoco at Clearfield, um, and he's still there. You know, He told my dad, watching our Brookville tape my senior year, because Clearfield played us right after uh, we played Brookville, and he said, he was like, John, how, how big's your boy? And my dad, you know, w- w- I was listed at like 5'9", but I'm um, 5'8", on a good day, you know, and stuff. And my dad's like 5'9", and Janoco told him straight up, he was like, Coach, he was like, if your kid was six foot, he'd be one of the top prospects in the state. He's like, there's no doubt in my mind. And I was always told that, but it's like, it's nice to hear, but like, I'm five foot eight. Like, what are you going to do? So, you know, I went through the process. A bunch of schools looked at me. Um, You know, my final two choices. Well, let, let me back up a little bit. What I was saying to you was, you know, different situation being a coach's kid. So I wanted to pick a school where I knew I was going to get a great education, and I wanted to play. I didn't want to go and just sit the bench. I wanted to play. If I'm going to go play college ball, I want to be on the field. So, you know, I I really kept that in mind. So I started the process. I I was real with myself and thought, you know, D3 is probably your better option. Um, D2 schools were, were very interested in me. You know, I had Clarion looking at me, Slippery Rock, Edinburgh, places like that. I actually had some one double A's, too. Penn was really interested in me, the University of Pennsylvania. And it's funny, sometimes like when you watch film, you can tell a kid's small, but they blend in a little bit on film. So I'll never forget, I don't even remember the guy that was recruiting me, but like he called me all the time and we would talk. <clears throat> and, and when he found out how tall I actually was, he thought I was like 5'10", 5'11". When he found out I was 5'9", 5'8", I never heard from Penn ever again. Like, Nothing like just complete radio silence, and so I learned the hard way that way. But um, so I started going around to all the local schools. Like I went to Waynesburg. I was very high on Waynesburg. They were actually my number one. But I went down there and went on my visit and didn't like it. And so now, as a coach, I encourage kids go on those visits. Like go and like look at the place and get a feel. 
I looked at Allegheny. I was very high on Allegheny. That was a big choice for me, but they didn't have my major. If Allegheny would have had my major back in the day, I probably would have went to Allegheny. Um, Slippery Rock. I loved Slippery Rock. My dad's a legacy there, played there, was a good athlete there. And they were actually very high on me. But again, I was real with myself. They had a kid named Randy McCavish who was like a two-time Harlan Hill finalist um, at quarterback. He was an undersized guy, but he was st- he still had like two years left. And I'm like, okay, I'll probably get redshirted maybe. I'll sit behind McCavish for sure for two years. I'll maybe get two years of ball. So I took my trip to Teal, and they were like fourth on my list, no joke, like just on paper. I had a high school teammate that was a year older than me that had gone there. So I go on my trip there. It was a snowy day in the winter, and I'll never forget it. Like, the way I felt at Teal when I stepped foot on that campus, I just felt like I was home. And still to this day, when I step foot on Teal's campus, I still get that feeling. I, what I always tell people, it's like that feeling when you're on a long trip and you've had a great trip and everything, but when you're coming home, you're just ready to be home. And, like, you know, when, you're, when the tires of your car get into town, you're like, oh, I'm home. That's how I feel when I'm on Teal's campus. And from that moment on that snowy day, you know, back in 1998, that, that did it for me. It really did. Plus the fact that they had education as a major and the fact that I'm like, I went to a game that year. They invited me to a game and I looked at their situation. They were loaded on defense with young talent. I was like, I like that. And I looked at their offense and I'm like, you know, I'm not knocking the kid that was there, but I was like, I'm better than the kid that they're starting right now. So I was like, I'll play right away. I'll get the education I want, and it feels right. So I picked Teal College. Um, you know, I, I went through the, the, the bumps and bruises and, and hard times that freshmen go through. Um, you know, I, I went in very cocky. I went in very, you know, high on my ability. And after the first week of camp, I was fourth string. And I'll never forget, I called home crying to dad. I'm four string. I'm going to quit. I stink. I'm better than these people or whatnot. I'm going to leave. And he talked me off the ledge as a good dad and good coach should. And he said, you know, stick it out. So I fought through. I battled, battled, battled. I ended up being the backup quarterback. and got. I played in like eight out of ten games my uh, freshman year. We weren't that good my freshman year. Um but there was a senior ahead of me, good kid. His name was Judd Allen. He was a good, hard-working program kid. And I'm actually still buddies with him to this day. He's actually a coach, up, an assistant coach at Grove City High School. And, you know, Judd wasn't the most talented, but, like, that kid taught me a lot with his work ethic. Like, he worked hard in the weight room. He was an unbelievable student, and he was an unbelievable good guy. Like, he understood, like, he was training me to one day give me the keys to that job, you know, and that's what he did. Um, so I lettered as a freshman, which, you know, was kind of a, a goal I wanted to have. I wanted to be a four-year letterman, so I lettered as a freshman. Going into my sophomore year, we were actually given a pretty unique situation. Back in 1990s or whatever, Division Three did not have spring football. You, you weren't allowed to, to have team activities and, and whatnot unless you petitioned the NCAA and took an abroad trip. So my coach, Dave Armstrong at the time, was going to take our college team to Germany to play a German professional team. So the NCAA granted us like 12 days of practice through the spring 
And that actually helped us a ton. That helped me a ton. You know, really learn the offense. We ran the triple option. I was more of a thrower in high school. But, you know, I really learned the ins and outs of the triple option, just repping it, repping it, repping it in the spring. And we go to Germany, and what a great experience that was. We, we played a team called the Landsberg Express from Landsberg, Germany, in this soccer stadium. And, you know, fans are doing all those soccer chants and all that. But we were like rock stars over there. It was kind of cool. Like, we stood out, like, you know, really stuck out differently from, like, all the Europeans because of the way we dressed and acted. You know, like, people knew without even hearing us, American, American. And, like, we're signing autographs and stuff. Don't we beat this professional team, like, 29 to 6? I scored two touchdowns, threw for some good yards. I had a big 70-yard run, but I got caught from behind. Um, It was just such a fun trip experiencing a different culture but that really you know gave us a good springboard into my sophomore year we started off the 1999 season at teal three and oh and that was the first time since like i'm I'm taking a guess here maybe like 1966 the teal started off three and oh we actually even got votes in the ncaa uh top 25 poll we weren't in the poll but we were in the others with votes and i mean campus was electric and the, the saying was teals for real. And, you know, we had such like, you know, positive vibes and all that. Well, the war of attrition hit us hard after that. We went down to Kentucky and played Thomas Moore College. And we used to play them in non-conference games. They would eventually join the PAC, the PAC. And I think teal was the reason because we had such great games with them. We go down to Kentucky and they're really good. And we end up losing 14-6 or 14, no, it's 14-7. And I had Kevin Wilder, my stud wide receiver, open on a pump and go. And I'll never forget it. My coach said to me, he called me over on a timeout. He said, we're going to run 58 pump and go. And I said to him, like, I went out to field. I go, hey, if I have time, can I set up and throw this? And he just went, yeah. Well, I get out there. I pump to Kev. Kev beats the coverage. He's open. I set my feet and I overthrow him. And I, I just remember. And I'll never forget in the film session, my coach was like, you're the best quarterback I've ever coached throwing on the run. You know, you shouldn't have set up. Dang it. We didn't win a game for the rest of the year. We ended up going three and seven. I, I fought through some injuries. I had a, I had a bad knee injury against Grove City. Not bad enough that it, I had to miss a game. But then, like, some other injuries happened to, to some of, you know, my teammates and this and that. But we battled that season. Even though we were three and seven, I mean, we lost games 26-20 to Defiance. Um, no, that was against Brockport State, excuse me, who was a great team, Division Three team from New York. We lost um, 20 to 13 to Defiance College. We lost 9 to 6 to Bethany. I mean, we were 15 points or less from being like 7 and 3 that year. And it, it, at that time, that would have been unheard of for Teal. So, season ends. Um, we have a lot coming back. We're very excited about our our future and in, in, in this and that. So I was named uh, team MVP. I still have the little plaque over here for that or, you know, award thing. Um, I was all conference. I was honorable mention all conference as a sophomore. Um, I missed three games though. Like I said, due to like little nagging injuries and whatnot, but we were real excited and focused going into my junior year. We worked hard, you know, we entered the season, um, we go and play our second game over in New Jersey against Kane University. 
It's like right over the border from New York City and New Jersey. You could see like the New York City skyline from their campus. They had brand new AstroTurf put down, not the, the turf that we know today, like the old school carpet stuff. This stuff was so coarse. And it was like 100 degrees on that turf that day. You could see it like billowing off the turf. Some of our players were like burn victims at the end of that game. I'm not joking. I remember my buddy Lou Magnotta, our linebacker, screaming in the shower when the water hit him. Because like our, our skin was like left out on this field. Early second quarter, I throw a ball and I get dumped on my shoulder by two guys. I end up separating my AC joint and my throwing shoulder. We end up winning the game. I, I, I couldn't finish because I couldn't lift my arm. My freshman backup did an admiral job, you know, filling in, and we end up went 25-18 or something like that. It was a weird score. We won, but I separated my shoulder. So I'm out a week. I have to sit out our next game against Bluffton. We go to play Thomas Moore at home again in the big rematch, and we wanted them bad. At that point, we were one and two. We lost our first one, won our second, and then we lost to Bluffton. I actually think if I had played in that game, we would have beat Bluffton. But, um, you know, it is what it is. So, Thomas Moore, this is a funny story. I'm still out. I'm not cleared yet. Like, I can't play. My dad had a team doctor that worked in Titusville, an orthopedic surgeon named Ray Blade. You may recognize that last name. He is the, he is the dad of J.J. Blade. I used to babysit the Blade boys, believe it or not, in Titusville. And for those listeners that don't know, J.J. Blade was the SEC Baseball Player of the Year at Vanderbilt. He was the fourth overall pick in the Major League Draft maybe two or three years ago. And he's like the number 50 prospect in all of baseball. He plays for the Miami Marlins. So anyway, his dad was, was a character. Like, he would help you in any way that he could. He, I'm not saying he was a witch doctor or anything, but like, he had his ways, man. So he said to my dad, he was like, is T going to miss again this week? Yeah, that, that, that shoulder, he goes, I can shoot him up with some cortisone. We'll be good to go. So I had to clear it with my coach. My coach wasn't real keen on the idea. So at our walkthrough on Friday, am I going to play? Am I not going to play? So he goes, no, I don't want you getting a shot. It's, it's, we're not going to do it. I'm dejected. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm missing more time. This is the rematch against Thomas Moore. I get a phone call late Friday night. It was so funny. Old school phones in the dorm, you know, and all that. My phone's ringing. I, I answer the phone. and I hear, No joke. Here was the phone call. TJ, Coach Armstrong, get the shot. <laughs> he told me to get the shot. So I, I organized it with my dad and Dr. Blade. They show up at the field. In those days, we didn't have a home stadium at Teal. Like, a big reason I picked Teal, too, was... We were told we were going to have a brand-new stadium on campus my sophomore year. Well, it didn't happen until my senior year. So we played our home games at Greenville High School. It's a nice stadium, but it wasn't ours, you know? So I go out into the parking lot in this pouring down. It was a crappy, rainy, gloomy day in the end of September. I'm sitting in a car. It felt so, like, Bush League, like like something you would see in a movie, you know? Doc Lene gets the needle already, shoots me up. It hurts so bad right into that joint. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. But it works, let me tell you. The, the pain went away. Doesn't the game come down to the wire? They're, they, okay, they were ranked number 10 in the nation. Okay, they were undefeated. We ran the year before 58 and go, and I overthrew Kevin Wilder, right? We ran 59 and go to the, ne- to the other side, to the left side. 
I didn't set up. I pumped on the run. I threw the ball drifting out of bounds. I hit Kev. It was a little bit behind. I, like, disappeared on the the end zone film, you know, that we used to do, too. I disappear into the the sideline, our sideline. It was a little behind Kev, but he takes it down to, like, the three-yard line. We score the next play, and don't we beat Thomas Moore 13-12, and we knocked off the number 10 ranked team in the nation. And it was like, at that point, we were 2-2. and Our season could go either way. You know, we still had some good talent on the team. But by the fourth quarter, my shoulder was throbbing again, so I wasn't 100%. Going into the Grove City game, week five, they were our big rival. We, we, we in Grove City and Teal do not like each other at all. I mean, they usually get the better of us, but, you know, we played for the Mercer County Cup, and I had the misfortune of playing during the R.J. Bowers years. He was the NCAA's all-time leading rusher for a short time. This guy was a man-child. I mean, he, he just dominated every game he played, and he played in the NFL. I actually played arena ball with him. I'll get to that later. But um, so we go to Grove City, going into our big Grove City game for the Mercer County Cup. We're two and two. Our team got hit with this very rare um, fungal infection, I guess you could call it. It was MRSA. What everybody talks about now. We had this. Nobody had heard of MRSA back in 2000. It was the year 2000. We didn't even call it MRSA. It was when the, C- the CDC from Atlanta had to come up. The football team had to quarantine like we were living in separate dorms. We had six starters out going into the Grove City game with this this funky disease, like what's going on, you know, and then it turns out they, they called it MRSA. We we're like, MRSA? Every week after that, another three guys would get it. They're out. Another three guys would get it. It destroyed our season. It destroyed our year. So we were two and two after four. We had to go two and eight. Um, I ended up separating my shoulder two games later worse to the point where I couldn't play anymore. Um, so my season was done, and that was that. So it was a very disappointing 2000 junior season. Um, just, you know, what could have been? I, I still think about that to this day. Like, you know, I really believe if, if we would have stayed healthy, I'm not saying we would have won. I think we could have had a winning record. I really do. Um, you know, me being healthy, our team being healthy and not getting it. And what they think it came from was us getting all ripped up at Kane, all those open wounds. Everybody was rubbing against each other in practice and, you know, and that that's what they said. But, man, that was a tough time. So Christmas break my junior year, I get a phone call. My head coach, Dave Armstrong, was relieved of his duty. And, you know... Coach Armstrong and I had an interesting relationship. Um, you know, he pushed me very hard and he rode me very hard. And there were days I was like, man, this guy hates my guts. Like, he he does not like me at all. And I always used that as, like, motivation. Like, I'm going to show Coach Armstrong. Like, I'm, But then I found out, and he told me straight up years later, he's like, I rode you that hard because I knew you were our best. Like, he was like, I was trying to get the best out of you. And, and I appreciate him for that. He's actually now the president of St. Thomas University down in Miami, Florida. He went from being a Division three football coach to being a university president. But anyway, so he calls to tell me I was fired. Well, I'm a 2B senior facing a new coaching staff. That's usually not a good situation. And I, I'll never forget it. I just sat there and I'm like, my career could be over. So we get back from Christmas break. I got picked. I was one of four or five guys on the team. I was a captain my junior year, too. 
they picked a couple of us to be on the player selecting committee to, to find a new coach. They had like a national search and it came down to, you know, three guys or two guys. And we sat in on all the interviews and the guy that they ultimately picked was my choice too. Like his name is Jack Leapheimer. And I had, I had history with coach Leapheimer. We called him coach Lee. He was the defensive coordinator at Allegheny college for years. And he recruited me to Allegheny. And I really liked Coach Leap. I mean, as I told you earlier in this interview, I almost went to Allegheny, and a big reason was Coach Leap. He, he, I felt like he cared about me. I felt like he wanted me to succeed and was looking out for my best interest and wasn't, you know, just feeding me the, the recruiting lines and this and that. And of all the guys that we talked to, I really felt like the only guy, when I looked at him and talked to him, I'm like, I felt like that's a head coach. Like, that guy, and... He's a Teal grad. He went to Teal. He said, this is the only job I'm, I would leave Allegheny for. Coach Leap gets the job. So what I learned real quick with Coach Leap was the three years I played before him, I was not in a college football program. It was just, we didn't work real hard. Coach Leap brought in real honest-to-God college coaches. They grinded us so hard and tried to trim the fat if you will, kids were quitting left and right, but that's what they wanted to do. They, they wanted to run off all the, the nonsense. We, I remember we had this, this, these week long workouts in March, like 5. AM. We would have to like walk to the gym at like four 30 in the dark. And they would just, I mean, guys puking and, and dropping and quitting in the middle of like workouts and stuff, but it, it helps. And, you know, so my senior year, we didn't have a great record, but like again, we battled in so many games. We ended up going two and eight my senior year. Um, I, I put up some good numbers my senior year. Um, I actually tore my ACL in the second game of my senior year, um, non-contact injury. I did a bootleg to the left against Kane, stuck my right foot in the ground to try to juke the DB, and my knee popped. And you know, I'm thinking my season's over, crushed. Doc Bladet, the guy that shot me up with the cortisone, I went to him because I trust what he can do for me. And I drove home to Titusville that night with my dad. And Doc Bladet got me into his office. And he goes, I don't know why you're crying, man. He's like, you don't have to miss your season. I was like, I don't? He goes, we can get you a knee brace. You'll be fine. So I got fitted for one of those big Don Joy knee braces that you see, you know, all the Division One linemen and pro linemen wear. I wish I would have had one for my good knee. When I put that thing on, I was like, holy, played out the rest of my senior season, um, was offensive player of the year. I was second team all conference. And I just loved, I, I got so much out of my senior year more for like life than I did my football. I mean, it was the end of what I thought the end of my football career. Um, but coach leap brought in a belief system and a mantra that he, it was an acronym, RYFP, and it stands for Reach Your Full Potential. Everything we did at Teal as football players was geared to trying to strive to reach our fullest potentials as students, athletes, and good contributing members of a community or, you know, a society. And I still live by that mantra to this day. I played one year for that guy, and he changed my life. Like, he really did. Like, when, me being a coach now, that's what I try to do with my kids. We, you know, we are YFP and, and try to reach our fullest potential. So 
I love Coach Leap. So, I mean, Coach Armstrong did a lot of good things for me. But when I think of my college coach, Jack Leapheimer was my college coach. I had a great offensive coordinator, too, a guy named John Marska. He ended up becoming the head football coach at Albright College for like 15 years after he left Teal and had great success out there. He's no longer there. But I had some really great coaches at Teal. So, so now my career's over. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm set to have surgery on my torn ACL over Christmas break. You know, it, it, I struggled a little bit from the end of football season till then. Like, what's my identity now? I'm not a football player anymore. You know, I, I, that's all I ever wanted to be. So one day at Teal, I'm walking to the cafeteria. I stopped at my little mailbox, you know, those little mail suits that they had. You put your key in and all that. I'm getting my mail out, and I get this letter from the nationalallstar.com bowl. What the heck is this? Sit down. I open up. Start reading. Congratulations. You've been selected to play in the 2002 nationalallstar.com all-American bowl, blah, 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 blah. And I had to read it like a couple of times. I'm like, am I, am I reading this right? The game is said to be played May, maybe like April or May. I'm supposed to have surgery. I'm like, oh my God. I immediately go and call my dad and I go, dad, what, what do I do? And you know, for any listener that knows John Wiley, he's a big, intense guy. He just started laughing. He goes, you play in the freaking game. <laughs> He goes, put off the surgery, man. He goes, play in the game. So that's what I did. I trained. Um, it gave me new motivation because I was like, I got one more game. I'm going to like, you know, as they say, ball out, and do my thing, you know, and everything. So I trained real hard. The game was luckily enough for me played in Ohio. Um, but it was kids from all over the country, Division One, all the way down to NAIA. And I just wanted to prove I can play with these bigger guys. I always knew deep down I could, but like now I have an opportunity and a showcase to do it. So we practiced in this and that for a couple of days. And the cool thing about it was, I mean, they really tried to make it like an event. Like they did like a combine and like, you know, pro shuttles and bench press contests and, you know, 40-yard dashes. And there were pro scouts there. There were pros from NFL Europe, CFL, Arena League. And we're throwing the one day. And an arena league scout comes over to me and was like, you got a really quick release, man. He was like, you know, and I'm just like ear to ear. I'm like, I'm going to be able to tell my kids someday that I at least talked to a pro scout. They, they, they thought I had a nice release. So we played the game. The way the, game, the teams were structured, there was no real like rhyme or reason. There was like a red team and a white team. But it wasn't like the north versus the south, I don't think. Like, because we had kids like, we had a kid on our team from, uh, Troy University, and that's like down in Alabama, you know. But um, I ended up going like 10 of 13 in the game, threw a touchdown pass, threw for like 100 yards and split time with another kid. I got co-MVP of the game. I'm just on cloud nine. Like, what a way for me to, to, to put a, a ribbon on my football career. So that's it. But like deep down, I just, I wasn't ready to be done being a football player. And, you know, a couple months go by, you know, school's done, this, that, whatever. My dad always had um, buddies over to the house for different reasons or whatnot. And one of his buddies, a teacher at Titusville, a guy named Jeff Otney, was looking at all my awards that my mom had out on the mantle and this and that. You know, mom was proud of me and everything. 
It's like, man, you had a pretty nice career, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, I, I did okay. And this and that. And he was like, we just start talking. And I, I brought up the arena thing. And he looked at me with wide eyes. He goes, one of my really good childhood friends is an arena league football agent. <laughs> so he got me in touch with this guy. He wasn't technically my agent. He was just acting as my agent. He actually got me my first ever tryout. So I went to uh, New York City um, on Long Island, right in the shadows of where the uh, New York Islanders play. And I tried out for the New York Dragons. And I had a really good workout. And that's what kind of got me started into uh, pro football. But um, Teal did everything for me, man. Like I, When I look at my Teal years... Um, Teal College gave me everything. I mean, I got a great education. Again, made great friendships and and relationships there that I still have near and dear to me to this day. Some of my best friends were my buddies at Teal. And, you know, even though I had a very injury plagued, I mean, I know you you put my numbers up for me and and this and that. I mean, I'm proud of what I did, but if I would have stayed healthy, I think I would have been a lot higher on those lists too. But, uh, I'm very proud to say I was a Teal Tomcat. Yeah, you know, a lot of really good numbers. And when you're just looking through the record books, it doesn't tell the whole story. I knew you were a three-year starter, but I didn't know you were a three-year starter minus all the games that you had missed and things like that. Um, I also didn't know what offense you ran. So, like, that also plays, a you know, a little bit of a difference maker. And, you know, if you're on the triple option, you probably throw through a lot less than you did your senior year, I would assume. So well, my abil- I, I think Coach Armstrong realized my abilities, and we still ran the triple as our base offense, but he he really incorporated, and I got to tip my cap to on this. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, usually at college, you go and pick the guys to run your system, but in a D3 school, you know, he kind of adapted what we did to our strengths. We had a lot of good receivers. I could sling it pretty good, and like, you know, there were games I would throw the ball 30 times a game, you know, and this and that, so... I got to tip my cap to him there, but you're right. I mean, I, I really believe, um, you know, when I played for Coach Leap and um, Coach Marska my senior year, I could have redshirted halfway through my junior year when I separated my shoulder. I could have taken a medical redshirt right there and had an extra year, but I actually stayed on and kicked for the team because I can kick pretty good. I'm not, I'm not a kicker, but I was one day in practice, I was just fooling around. You know, I had an arm sling on, but I'm fooling around. And our running backs coach was like, holy crap, why? That's good from like 50 yards. I'm like, eh, well, you know, whatever. I kicked a little in high school, not much. He told our coach, and, and he called me that night, Coach Armstrong. He was like, you're a captain of this team. You would really help us if you were, you know, you would kick. Well, that took a lot for me to swallow my pride going from being the all-conference starting quarterback, captain of the team, to being the kicker. But I did it but I wasted a year of eligibility. And when I told my new coaching staff, because we had a great relationship, I'll never forget with like maybe two games to go in my career, me and Coach Marska, my offensive coordinator, were watching film in the offices. And it just came up. I said, do you know I could have had an extra year of eligibility? And he paused the film and he had a big, he always chewed. I mean, he, I, I love the guy. He was such he was such a tough guy, man. Like Coach Marska was the man. But he just sat there with this big chew and his mouth was wide open. And it was like, I don't know. He was just like in shock. He looked at me. He goes, what? So I told him the story and he was like, that is the dumbest thing you've ever done. Why would you have done that? I was like, coach, I didn't know you guys were coming, you know, but I really believe if I would have had an extra year under those guys, 
I, I think I could have really, really shined under them. And he even agreed. On um, the year I, I, after I graduated, I feel that my class was the class that kind of laid the foundation. If you look at Teal's, you know, history from 2001 through about 2006, Teal was pretty, I mean, Teal's never really been that good at football. And I know we're the brunt of a lot of jokes, even nationally, with that stupid Coke commercial. Drink Pepsi, everybody, it's better. Anyway, um, we kind of laid the foundation for the success that they had in 2005. They went undefeated. They went 10-0, and won the conference, won a national playoff game, hosted it, ended up, like I think, ranked 16th in the nation. And Coach Leap, every time I'm with him, he still says, it was your senior class springboarded us to that success. But the year after I graduated, I think maybe they were four and six or something, but they were missing that quarterback component. And a bunch of the young guys that I played with, a kid from Dubois, actually, a kid named Gabe Hendricks, he ended up being um, maybe the Division Three National Lineman of the Year. He was on that 05 team. He was a starting freshman tackle for me my senior year. Him and another kid named Bob Munch, who was my center, he was from Erie McDowell. They tell me all the time, they were like, if you would have been our quarterback that next year, they were like, we, we, we think we would have won the conference. So, But what it could have showed up. But again, Teal, Teal was great to me. I still go back as much as I can. I go to games. Um, and, and like I said earlier, I just get that feeling when I go back. It's home. It's home. Yeah. So for you guys listening, I'll just kind of – you know, talk about where TJ ranks all time in, in Teal history. So he's sixth all time in passing. Uh, you know, he has the 10th most yards in a season, which I believe was his senior year in 2001. Um, he's seventh all time in completions and fifth all time in passing touchdowns, amongst other records as well. I'm not going to put like attempts on there. You know, I, I know you yeah. probably saw me list those. You know, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not oblivious to just throwing attempts on there. I mean, who cares if you threw the ball 80 times if you, if you didn't hit anybody? But no, you know, you're amongst the top in, in several other categories as well. Um, passer rating, uh, six in a season in passer rating as well, now that I have those up as well. Um, but yeah, let's talk about professionally. I know that you ended up playing uh, professionally for a few years. Uh, ironically, you lived at the apartment complex that I still currently live at today when you were living in Erie, which is pretty wild. So I want to know your entire career uh, professional journey. I don't know all the stops in between, but obviously you've spent a time um, in Erie, which is kind of crazy playing professional football right up the road from where you you know played your high school ball and your, your college ball as well. Well, you know, it's funny. I talked about this to the Titusville kids today. You know, I had a dream my whole life to play professional football. I think like any kid that plays a sport, you know, they dream of, you know, maybe being in the NFL or the NBA or MLB or the NHL or whatever their given sport is. And I had that. I mean, I wanted to be a professional football player. And I knew that that was a long shot. And, you know, people would laugh at me there's no way you're, you're, there's no way you're going pro but I told those kids today if you have a dream believe in that dream and chase that dream and you know the funny thing is I I got to touch my dream I did I, I got paid to play football for three and a half years and you know at the time it was hard I mean I learned real quick that football is a business and they don't care who you are they don't care where you're from you are just a, a cog in the wheel to them. And if they don't need you, you're gone. The next guy up, you know. And But the more I reflect on my career, I got paychecks to play football for three hours. Now, granted, it was a couple hundred bucks a game or whatnot, and maybe 
some bonuses for touchdown passes or, you know, signing autographs at a mall or something like that. Um, but I got to experience those things. You know, I got to sign autographs for kids. Kids would come up to me and want my autograph. Like, that was always the coolest thing to me. Like, so I got, I, I got three and a half years that a lot of people don't get. And like I said, the more I reflect on it, the more proud I get of, of the fact that I, I did that. So like I, I told you a little bit earlier, I go to that tryout with the Dragons and did well enough there. Um, went to a rookie mini camp with them, not thinking I was going to make it at all. But it, it helped me learn the game. So, you know, I guess I kind of started with the New York Dragons of the big arena league that no longer exists. But it's the one any anybody that might know arena ball that used to be on TV and ESPN and all that. Um, it's a fast, up-in-your-face type game. Um, you know, what a lot of people don't know about indoor arena football, the rules, it, it looks like football, but it's a completely different game. Like, Guys that were good outdoor players necessarily weren't good indoor players, and vice, you know, vice versa. Like, I mean, you know, it was a different game, and it took a different skill set. And what allowed me to be successful in that league, you know, yes, I was very short, but I do have a quick release. Like, that was something I, I lived off of my whole career. And in that league, that ball's got to be gone immediately. I mean, it's got to be gone. You play on a 50-yard field by 28 yards across, eight on eight, um, it, 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 they used to call it football in a blender. I mean, that's what it, what it was. So after my time there, um, I was referred, actually. They, they, they thought I had enough talent, I guess. They referred me to this developmental league that they had back mid-2000s through me. Yeah, probably through like the early to mid-2000s. It was around for a while. It was called the Arena 2 Football League. It was the developmental league, basically the minor leagues of arena football to develop guys to get them, you know, ready to play the sport because they realized you got to learn this game and learn how to play it the right way. Well, there was a team in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which wasn't far from the town Danville where I grew up, and I ended up signing there. And I go there, and I was very excited about it, and you know, dumb and naive and this and that. And I was only there for a week, week and a half maybe. Never played in a game, but practiced and. You know, this and that. Well, through contacts and some other workouts that I had done and this and that, I got contacted by a team, the Greenville River Hawks of Greenville, South Carolina, of a different indoor football league. It was called the National Indoor Football League. Very similar to arena football, just different rules, this and that. They were trying to rival the big arena league. They were offering me more playing time, this, that, whatever. So I took a gamble. And I ended up signing with them. So I played out the rest of the, I want to say, 03 season with them. Um, never started, but I played quite a bit. Um, they only carry so many guys on a roster. Um, you could be on a practice squad and things like that. But if you make the game day roster, I think you're allowed. they were allowed to carry maybe up to 27 guys. But for a game, you could only have like 18. So if you were a backup quarterback... They would sometimes have you run down on kickoffs or, you know, return kicks and do other things because – and I had never done that. And they're telling me – I'm going up against, like, my first ever pro game. We played the Tupelo Fire Ants in, in Tupelo, Mississippi, 
in this hostile environment, no joke, and I'm playing against a guy named Pig Prather who played, he was an all-SEC linebacker from Mississippi State that had a cup of coffee with the Redskins of the NFL, and I'm running down on kicks trying to block that guy, but in like, I mean, my eyes were like this big, like, you know, and it's just so fast and up in your face and, you know, but again, I got to have that experience. Well, I got like some spot time at quarterback um, through my first touchdown pass against the Atlantic City Card Sharks. That was something cool about Arriba. The nicknames, it's almost like minor league baseball. There were some really cool nicknames in arena ball. But so against the um, uh, Atlantic City Card Sharks at Boardwalk Hall, that was a cool place to play. I threw my first touchdown there. I, the ball's up here on my shelf. I don't know if you can see that up there, the NIFL one. I have a couple game balls from my time in, in arena ball and stuff. But um, that was important to me. I mean, you know, I remember when I threw that ball to this kid, um, he caught it, and I, went, I immediately ran to him. His name was Rich Gear, Richard Gear, not the actor. He was a wideout from Delaware Valley College. I went running up to him, like, Rich, that's my first pro touchdown pass. I need that ball, man. He's like, you take it, man. You got it. And it was cool to, like, be able to go over and hand it to my, my fiance, who's my wife now at the time. And, you know, I'm on cloud nine. Well, that season ended. And I really didn't know where I was going to surface the following year. Arena ball is played or was played spring months through the summer. So as a teacher and a coach, that kind of helped me a little bit. So I had to put my teaching career on hold to pursue this dream. So I would substitute teach in Titusville. I coached for my dad for three years. And then in the spring months towards the end of the year, I would go to wherever I was playing. And God bless my wife, my wife now. She was my girlfriend, fiance at the time. She kind of put her life on hold too to allow me to do that because, you know, she couldn't go get a job wherever, you know, she applied for jobs out in Wilkes-Barre, but then I go to South Carolina. Like, so she had to like really put her life on hold. And, you know, that's why she's the best. Um, so going into that next year, I didn't know where I was going to be. I knew there was still interest in me. I, you know, maybe I still sign with Greenville. Maybe I go somewhere else. New league starting. It's called the Atlantic Indoor Football League, the AIFL. It, it eventually be- became the American Indoor Football League. Um, same letters, AIFL. And there's a team in Erie, Pennsylvania coming. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I somehow got into contact with them. They loved the fact that I was a local guy. You know, it's smart for marketing. Bringing a local guy with local ties, played high school ball in the area is kind of a name that has been known in District 10. I actually helped work for the team and play with the team at the same time. I would do, like, um, sales calls, try to sell sponsorships, you know, really try to press the team to the community, um, meet with people for meet and greets and things like that. Um, They put me up in the Willowwood Village Apartments, and my wife and I lived there for the time that I was up there, and it was the inaugural season of the year, or of, of that league, and I think there were only about eight teams on the Atlantic coast that played in this league and I was having a great camp like I I was the number one guy I'll never forget it when the first depth chart came out Wiley was one the guy behind me who had played in the NFL with the Bills was number two and I'm just like I'm shocking the freaking world man and things didn't go my way 
you know, I don't want to sit here and say sour grapes, but I think some politics came into play because I didn't play in the NFL. And the kid that did play in the NFL was supposed to be the big ticket guy. And, you know, everybody wants to see the ex-NFL player, not the little short guy from Titusville. You know what I mean? <laughs> and things things just started, like, changing. Like, I was, I was getting a lot of love. Like I said, during camp, I was the number one. I was getting all the number one reps. One day in practice, I go running out with the ones, and I get a tug on the jersey, and it was an assistant coach, and they go, hey, we're going to let Dave get some of the first-team reps today. I was like, okay, all right. I go over, I start, I pulled my helmet up on my, my head, I start drinking some water, and that's when it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm the starter, why am I giving my reps to the backup? And from that day on, things just, my, my reps got less and less and less. And I'll never forget, I finally had a, a talk with the head coach. And his justification was, you missed a read two weeks ago in practice. One read I missed in practice is why they said that Dave was going to get the start, and I wasn't. So I went from being like the guy you know, the guy they were pushing in the community, being the local guy, this and that. I wasn't even on the active roster. The, the coach didn't believe. He was like, taking two quarterbacks and arena balls, wasting a roster spot. So I wasn't getting paid. And it was really hard. Like, you know, I was practicing with the team. I just wasn't, like, as connected to the team because I wasn't the guy anymore and this and that. And that This is where I really learned pro football firsthand. So one day, I go to the Tulio Arena. What's it called now? Erie Insurance Arena. But it was the Tulio when we played there. I go to practice, and I'll never forget this. It was like yesterday. There's a new guy in the room. Anytime that there's a new player in the room, that means somebody's getting cut. And I did. I just I thought to myself, I was just like, it's going to be me. And no sooner did I think that, a coach popped his head into the locker room and said, hey, Wiley, we need to talk. Bring your helmet. Like so, we go down this long hallway, and we're sitting in the Tulio in the first couple of seats as you first come out. And he starts talking to me, but my mind is going so fast because it's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to lose the apartment? What am I going to do for money? Is my career over? It's the summer right now. I can't teach right now. That's what I'm thinking. But this guy's chirping in my ear. Finally, I get aware of what's being said when he goes, we think you're good enough, we can trade you. And I'm like, okay. And he starts talking. He goes, we've been in touch with Tri-City. I go, Tri-City? I go, where's Tri-City? He goes, Washington. I go, D.C.? He goes, no, the state of Washington. And I go, you expect me to relocate 3,000 miles away to make 400 bucks a week playing this i go you can just give me my release right now so that's what they did they released me on the spot i went home and as i left as i left the arena this head coach who i had a pretty nice relationship with and you know i did a lot to help get this team on the ground and up and running in erie they end up going to the championship game you know and and the guy that beat me out ends up being league mvp you know it, it again it makes me look like i have sour grapes but it's the truth guys I was number one on the depth chart for about a week and a half. Um, as I was leaving the arena, that head coach was standing there, and I'll never forget it. He never even looked at me, never thanked me, nothing. 
It was just like, it was basically like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that's when I knew, I, I was just like, man, this is a business. So my wife and I had to, you know, swallow our pride and move home for the summer. We ended up losing our apartment. The, the team put a sticky note on our door saying, you have a week to be out. So we ended up just calling our parents. We packed up literally in a day and we were out. We were like, we don't even need a week. We're just leaving. And it was a low point for me because it's like I went from being a professional football player to loading pla- loading plastic coils on the back of flat but flatbed trucks, uh, charter plastics in Titus OPA because I needed a job, you know, and that's what I was doing. So I was done. I thought my career was over. My wife and I talked. She was my fiance at the time. And I said, wherever you want to go. We're going to go. She always wanted to come to the Pittsburgh area because she went to Westminster College, and most of her good friends were from the Pittsburgh area. Well, it came down to Chartiers Valley and Shaler Area School District. And I'll never forget, in my mind, I thought, you know, in my mind, I thought I was done, but my heart, I was like, I'm still going to work out just in case. So I was down in the Titusville weight room working out one day, and I get a phone call from her, and she said, I just got a job. Oh my God, where? And she, Shaler area. So, going to Pittsburgh. So we moved to Pittsburgh in 2005. When we moved down here, dad had told me he was like Shaler. He was like, one of my former players, Jacques DiMatteo from Clearfield, is the head coach at Shaler. Dad called him up. Jacques interviewed me, hired me on the spot. So I I at least had a coaching job to come down to. So I was on Jacques' staff. It's funny how sometimes things just happen. So we're living in Pittsburgh. We're engaged to be married, new town, new job. I'm looking for a job. I get a phone call out of the blue. Oh, I, I got it back up a little bit. I ended up getting it. I got my, I got a teaching job at the Bradley Center over in Mount Lebanon at the time. So I finally landed a teaching job. So I'm working full-time as a teacher. I'm coaching full-time as a position coach at Shaler. I'm taking grad classes at LaRoche, and I'm getting married in the summer. I get a phone call from the Steubenville Stampede, a new expansion team of the American Indoor Football League, that same league that Erie was in. Somehow they knew I was in the Pittsburgh area. How they knew that, I don't know. They said that they knew about me playing with Erie and they knew that I could play the game. They invited me to a workout and basically told me on the phone, they were like, listen, you're going to come work out, but you're getting signed. Like, we just got to make it look like you're working out with everybody. They threw the offer at me, and it was substantially more money than I was getting anywhere else I had played. And my wife had told me, my girlfriend at the time, you want to say it, she told me, she's like, I'm done with that football stuff. She was like, you're done playing. So I sat her down, and I was like, sweetie, um, this team called, and she just starts looking at me. And when I told her what they were offering me, I said, I might be able to pay off a lot of our honeymoon with just my football money. She was like, you can play one more year. <laughs> so I went to the workout. I got signed. And believe it or not, that's where I had my most success. I was the starting quarterback for Steubenville for six or seven games. Um, you know, threw seven touchdowns in a game. One game was lead player of the week. Um, you know, I did some cool things, um, you know. and But my knee didn't hold up. The knee that I was going to have surgery on way back in college, I still have a torn ACL in my right knee. I've never had it repaired 
because I just put it off for years chasing this football thing. And it's gotten to a point now where I'm so invested in life with my kids and coaching. I don't have nine months recovery to get my knee done. I'm going to be looking at a very tough old age, but I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Um, but that was, so when I, I boogered up my knee in my last game, we were playing the Syracuse soldiers, um, Kirby Dardar, a former Syracuse great was their coach. It was so simple too. I just stepped into the throw right before halftime, felt something in my knee pop a little bit. And I'm thinking like, and these small arena leagues that I played in, they would give you a physical, but they didn't give you like a hard. So like I hid my knee injury from a lot of people. So they had no idea. So I go, I go get it in right at halftime. Cause the ball was just like, almost like a, a final throw before the half. And I tell the trainer, I'm like, Hey, I boogered something up in my knee. And he shook my knee around. He got this real concerned look on his face. He called over our team doctor, a guy named Ed Snell. He's actually the Pittsburgh Pirates team doctor, too. He would come to all of our games. He wiggles my knee and just starts laughing. He goes, you tore your ACL. And this was in 2006. And I just go, Doc, what if I told you it's been torn since 01? He goes, get out of here. I go, yep. He goes, you're done. He goes, you are not playing the rest of this season. You're done. So I had an MRI that he goes, I'm seeing you Monday in my office. So I got, I have an MRI with Doc Snell and I'll never forget it. This was kind of funny. My dad came down to be with me for moral support, you know, and stuff. Doc or Doc uh, Snell comes in, throws my MRI up. He goes, yep, there it is. He's like, totally see it. Torn ACL. And he looked at me, he goes, how long did you say you've been playing on that knee? And I go, well, I tore it week two of 01, 2006. So that he goes, he just shook his head. He goes, if you were a cat, you used about seven of your nine lives playing on that. He goes, I can't believe the, the level you've been performing at. And I didn't wear a brace or anything in arena ball. I just, I did because the first tryout I ever went to with the dragons, if they saw a scar on your knee, they told you to go home because they didn't want damaged goods. So I was like, I better not wear my knee brace here. So doc Snell was like, you got to be done, man. You got to, he goes, do you want to play with your kids someday? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you got to be done. And then he said to me, he goes, I can only think of two athletes that have played on a knee that looks that bad on film at the level you played. And that's John Elway and Heinz Ward. And I said to him, I go, doc, you need to do me a favor. I said, the next time somebody comes in with this injury, please put my name in with their names. He just laughed and he was like, of course I will. So that's where my, that's where my career ended as a player. Um, like I said, it was a, so I, I was teaching full-time, coaching full-time, um, taking grad classes, planning a wedding, and playing pro football all at the same time. It was tough. It was a lot. <laughs> but again, I got so many cool experiences that not too many people get. So I'm very proud of what I accomplished as a player. That's kind of crazy. You got one more chance. You know, you yeah. definitely thought you were – you know, your career was over, and crazy enough, Steubenville, Ohio had a, gets a team. You know, that's pretty and, wild. And the thing about Steubenville that was nice and convenient for me, my school ended up moving locations to Robinson. So Robinson to Steubenville is like thir- a 30-minute drive. I mean, Steubenville used to have a catchphrase like the, the burb of the burb. Like, it's a great suburb to live in of Pittsburgh because it's just right over the border into Ohio. And it was a great football town. I mean... If any if anybody knows um, Steubenville High School football, 
it's rich, man. It's rich tradition. And those people loved our team. They really did and, like, supported us. So it was a cool experience. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm very thankful that I was given that opportunity. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I know a little bit about Steubenville because of, you know, Franciscan University, yeah. um, you know, and I know that they supported them. They had great press at those games. I was shocked. I was like, man, they really cover these these teams. But, you know, I kind of realized when we go on those bus trips, you got West Virginia, Steubenville, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, like all in this little circle. And you hit like all three states, uh, you know, yeah. coming from Erie in, in a matter of minutes, truly. Yes. So yeah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good place to be. And, you know, as you know, and, and as many people listening probably will know, Ohio, you know, high school football is no joke, no matter where yeah. you're at, you know, yeah. it's where the birthplace, the birthplace of football, uh, you know, and then Pittsburgh, obviously a pretty good football town as well. So yes. as much as it probably pains you to, to admit that as a Bills fan sometimes, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, that's pretty good stuff. That's really cool. Um, you know, I'm glad that you got that one final go around, I guess, you yeah. know, especially when you and thought again, it was over. Like, you know, who would have thought that would, like, how do I get a phone call out of the blue? How does this team know I'm living in Pittsburgh? It was just, it, it, it was, it was, and I, like I told you earlier in my talk, RJ Bowers, the running back from Grove City, who was at the time the NCAA's all-time leading rusher, he played for the Carolina Panthers, the Steelers, and the Browns in the NFL. He actually played with us in Steubenville. I was on, we were on, we were teammates with the Stampede. And it was amazing, some of the names that you would see, that you would recognize from like watching big-time college football. There were guys that had NFL contracts or played in the CFL and were trying to get back there. And to me, arena ball and indoor football was the top of the mountain. I mean, I, I had a couple of CFL tryouts, but it didn't go my way. But, you know, there were some guys that were using these lower-tier pro leagues to try to springboard themselves but again i got to play with some guys that you know played at nebraska and and arizona state things like that and what it showed to me that you know i i tell kids when i tell them my story like you know dream big i always say dream big and play big and if you have a dream chase it like don't live with that regret what it proved to me by chasing down my dream was i can do it like i i really do believe and and you know Anybody that really knows me, I come across as a cocky guy. I'm very hard on myself and don't have a lot of self-confidence, but I have a lot of confidence in my football ability. And I I do believe if I would have been 6'3", 6'4", I think I could have had a shot. I, I really do believe that. Yeah, you know, I know, I know the struggles of being five eight. <laughs> I, I get it, Tej. You know, I wasn't nearly as athletic as you, but I get it. You know, and I'm not surprised that they had to roll you out. You know, probably the the Drew Brees stuff. You can't see over the line. You got to drop back in these seven step drops and roll out of the pocket. Let me clear something up for you. On that. I mean, you're a smart sports guy. And for anybody listening or, or, or that, that cares to know, that is such a wise tale. You, does it help? To be tall and have that, yes. But you see through the line yep. more than over the line. If you know your protection and know where the receiver is going to be, they create passing windows for you to, to throw it. And it was so funny. Through my college years and a lot of my pro years, I had numerous receivers say, man, we couldn't even see you back here. And all of a sudden, <laughs> bam, the ball's like right on us. So when I played in Steubenville, it's funny you say that, 5'7", 5'8", guy, my offensive line, I had a center named Duke Jones, 
who played at Glenville State. He was probably like 5'11", okay? So taller than me, of course. Little fire plug guy, tough kid. We had Brian Radakovich, a basketball player, four-year scholarship basketball player at Youngstown State, took his fifth year of eligibility to play football. He was a tight end, 6'8", but he played he played tackle for us because he was a stupid he was a Steubenville kid. He actually started as a receiver, but he was such a big guy. We needed a tackle, so we moved Radakovich to tackle. And then no joke, my other tackle was a guy named Carlos Spinner, six foot eleven. Oh wow. He 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 was from that Steubenville area. I think he went to either Toledo or Akron on a full ride. It didn't it didn't work for him. He ended up doing a couple years hitch in the military and then was back home in the uh, eastern Ohio area. So I had 6'8 and 6'11. There's no way I'm seeing over that. <laughs> no. You know? But again, like, if, if, if you're quick with the ball, you know where you're going with it, and those windows are there, you can uh, – you can be successful, so. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I'm just giving you a hard time, man. I played the line, so it never pertained to me. I I got to see right out in front of me as much <laughs> as much as I sometimes I don't think I wanted to see who was in front of yeah. me lining up across from me. Um, but, you yeah, know, that's definitely good. I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Um, so your coaching career, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I believe you coached at Vincentian, which obviously has since, you know, since, uh, you know, disbanded. Northgate, I think, is also – that's is that around still too? Yeah, they're a public school. They okay. uh, they consist of um, the communities of Bellevue and Avalon. Okay, they sit right. They, I mean, for for people up your way, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, the North Hills of Pittsburgh is a pretty well known suburban area, and there are so many schools within the North Hills area. But there is North Hills High School. My dad's a graduate of North Hills. That's where Mark Kelso played. Yep, we are. When I was at Northgate, I always say we still. I, I mean, I'm not there anymore, but, like, that's how near and dear Northgate was to me. But they were right across <coughs> 279. They were the next community over from North Hills. Small little single-A school. Um, I got the job there in 2011. I was a long, I was an assistant under my dad at Titusville for three years. Um, helped run the offense up there right out of college. My dad had a ton of success. We had three winning seasons, conference championship in, in my first year. Um, we made the playoffs, I, I think, every year those three years. Um, come down to Shaler, um, was a position coach and head JV coach here for a bunch of years. And we had a bunch of success down here, too. Um, you know, living in the community, coaching in the community. Um, but became very good friends with a lot of the young staff members. We had a tremendous staff Um my second, third, and fourth year at Shaler. I mean, Jock DiMatteo is a District 9 legend at Clearfield, was an All-American at Clarion. He was our head coach. Um, he he was phenomenal to work for. I mean, what, what an interesting study that guy is, but cares so much about his players and his coaches. So I loved working for him. On that staff, we had Chris Conrad, a former Pittsburgh Steeler, he, he was an offensive lineman out of Fresno State, six foot eight, 320-pound guy. He's now the associate head coach, run game coordinator at Slippery Rock University. I was on that staff. I would become a head coach. Jim Ryan, who is now Sheila Arias' head coach, was a young assistant on that staff. We just had a lot of really good coaches on that staff. And a lot of the kids that I – kids, they're now men and adults all these years later – that I first started coaching down here at Shaler, when I still run into them, that's what they always say to me. They were like, 
not that they took us for granted, but they were just like, you were our coaches. But they were like, the more we think about what we had when we played for you guys, like, we had great coaches. And, and I, I agree. Like, and it was such a fun time. We were all younger. All the families got along. We all hung out together. We had, like, Halloween parties together and camaraderie. The wives liked each other. It was just a very special time. So, um, Northgate happens for me. Um, I'm there in 2011. I get the job. Northgate had had – well, I got to back up a little bit. I mean, I was Penn Traffer's head coach for one season. I got the job in 2009. It just – some unfortunate things happened out there um, that I didn't agree with morally and ethically. And I felt I had to stand for what was right. And I wasn't going to um, tarnish my morals, my ethics, and my character for a bunch of nonsense. So I stepped down after one year. You know, a lot of people say I quit on them out there. Um, I felt, in a way, they quit on me. I, I, I really do. Um, saying the things that they, they had said. I'll leave it at that. Um, don't have a real good taste in my mouth for that. And they go on to have a bunch of success after I leave. So, again, it seems like sour grapes, but it is what it is. Um, I took a year off being a head coach in 2010. I came back to Shaler as the offensive coordinator. Again, we had a pretty nice year. But I still had that taste. I still had that itch. I want to be a head coach still. So, um, Northgate ends up opening real late. The job didn't open until early June. And that's, like, insane for a job to open. I mean – People are installing stuff end of May, early June. I mean, workouts usually start then. So I just put my name in on a whim. They had to rush the the process because we got to get a coach. My family was vacationing in the Outer Banks with your buddy Jake. Um, that The day we were leaving for vacation was my interview. I have to go to the interview. So my family, my wife and... Uh, our son at the time, he was only two. I have two children, but my son was only born then. They left with my mom, my sister, and my brother-in-law and their kids to go early. My dad stayed with me, drove me to my interview. I go through this interview like a whirlwind, and we took off right from Northgate's parking lot and started driving. I get a phone call like around Bedford, maybe, like the Bedford area, and it's Northgate. And they hired me on the spot. They were like, you're our guy. So... I get the job and I'm on vacation and I, I have to start making calls to find a staff. So a lot of my staff are friends and friends of my dad that have been extremely loyal to me and are great coaches. I mean, I was blessed to have my dad as my offensive coordinator, the best football mind I've ever been around. My dad, John Wiley, he's a PA, uh, Pennsylvania state coaches association hall of famer. Um, to have him as a former head coach, be my OC, his best friend, Hank Marziel, who used to be Pine Richland's head coach, and they coached together at North Hills back in the day, was my defensive coordinator. I have two former big-time head coaches as my coordinator, and I'm just this young head coach. So they have helped me tremendously. But we go to Northgate. We took over. I knew the situation was rough there. But once I got in and saw the, the, the landscape of the situation – I think they had six wins in the previous five years combined when we got there. It was just in disarray. It really was. And, I mean, it, they were playing double A when they they were just at the line. So they were outmatched. 
you know, but just, just things just like the equipment wasn't cared for things like that. I mean, it was just, holy smokes. So we come in late. I think the first day I met the kids was June 28th, real late. We end up having a winning season. We make the playoffs. We broke all the school passing records. My quarterback, I inherited this quarterback, six foot five, 225 pound kid. Um, he may have been gone by the time he ended up playing D end at Edinburgh. His name was John Gervin. Um, played on the basketball team too. Stud. This kid was such a blank slate. He was going into his fourth year as a starter. And I remember doing board work with him because we had to install fast. And I'm just going over a simple all go, all like, you know, a four vertical package. I mean, I think an elementary kid should be able to run that. Single high safety, we're reading the inside, pump them off one way, hit the guy the other. It's cover two, we're looking outside, hitting quick with a cover two shot in the hole. I'm just going fast. He's sitting there shaking his head. But I'm reading his body language, and I'm like, this kid thinks I'm speaking like a foreign language. And I just, I, I said, let me stop. I said, do you know what cover three is? And to John's credit, he just went, I said, so what if, I, I said, you've just been throwing blind into coverage for these last three years. And he just went, yep. <laughs> so I was like, okay. so I molded my offense. And again, that's what sometimes you got to do. We gave John very simple one defender, flat defender reads. He goes out, throw the check down. He takes the check down, throw, simple reads. He was the second leading passer in the whip. He threw for like 2,500 yards, 20 plus touchdowns. He had offers from 1AA schools, Division II schools. He ends up picking uh, Edinburgh. Actually played quarterback there and won a big game against IUP. But then he just, he got so big in the weight room. And they moved him to DN and he was a force on the basketball court too. But back to my coaching stuff. The Northgate thing was, was, was a ride because we took over such a bad situation and gave them success immediately. Took them to the playoffs. We ended up losing but I was named Citizen of the Year in the little newspaper in Bellevue for going five and five. And I just thought that was so funny. I'm like, we went 500. And he's like, to those people, though, that was a big deal. So we had, we had some good success at Northgate. I think in my time there, I, we only, I was there for six years. We had one losing season. Um, my best season there was 2016. Um, we finished 10 and 2. We lost in the Whippeal semifinals the game before Heinz Field for people up north that may not know the um, you know Whippeal landscape. But the way that the, the state playoffs were aligned, that was actually the Whippeal semis were actually week one of the state playoffs. So we were the first team in Northgate history to ever qualify for the state playoffs. We finished number four in the state. Our only losses were to Clareton, the number one ranked team in the state, uh, and Rochester, who finished number three in the state, and we lost thirty to twenty six to Rochester, and we were four points from Clareton with three minutes to go in the semifinal game. And then Lamont Wade, any Penn State fans out there know he was the Gatorade State Player of the Year that played for Clareton. He just overtook the game with three minutes left, and they scored two touchdowns in the middle, a matter of three minutes, and made the score look a little outlandish more than it was. But we played toe to toe with them. So was very proud of my time at Northgate, but it just got to a point where I ended up getting a teaching job in the district. So I was in Northgate. I was there with the kids. Um, things just got funny in 2017 for me. Like I, I knew that 
we had turned a corner and, and we were a, a good program now and a respected program on a state level. I mean, we, we got a lot of love, you know, from, from state writers and, and all, you know, Pennsylvania.pafootballnews.com named a lot of our kids to their all-state team and, and this, that, whatever. Well, in 2017, that team felt like they could ride the coattails of the success of my 2016 team. They were two separate teams. And... The worst thing happened to us week one. We end up knocking off a really, really good Our Lady of the Sacred Heart team at Moon Stadium on a last-second 47-yard field goal. I had this kicker from uh, – he was a uh, foreign kid from Nepal, actually, soccer player. But he boots this 47-yard field goal. to We win 29-28, and Ulse was way better than us. Well, that gave us such false hope. We were ranked again. I think we were number four in the Whippeal, number eight in the state. We weren't that good of a team. We just weren't. And we ended up going two and seven that year. I had to kick a kid off the team who was arguably my best player, but I had to do it. So it wasn't like, you know, like, what am I, like, coach, what do you know? That kid had to go. But um, but going into that next offseason, kids just stopped coming to the weight room. And I just felt like the commitment wasn't there anymore. And me being me, I was like, is it me? Have they lost faith in me? Do they not believe in me anymore? So I took it to probably a little bit longer than I should have. I took it to about March because I kept thinking to myself, maybe this feeling will go away and, you know, we'll, we'll be okay again. It didn't go away. And I just, I, I stepped down. I just, I just felt like the kids lost belief in me and, and, you know, so I called a team meeting. I, I told the kids it was it was a tough choice, and you know, I, I thought long and hard about it. But it's just, and, and I didn't pin it on them, but I just kind of hinted to there would have been more commitment. I'd have stayed. I a hundred percent. I would have stayed, and and I still I still stand by that. But you know, sometimes things happen the way that they happen, and so. Going into that next year, I really didn't think I was going to coach. I was a little burned out. Um, you know, that whole Northgate thing took its toll on me mentally and emotionally. Vincentian Academy, great basketball school in the North Hills. I mean, you're familiar with them. They had some battles with Ridgeway. Um, they had had a football team for only maybe three years, did away with it, but now they're deciding to bring it back. Well, I have a son, as I've alluded to, and he loves football and he wants to be a football player. Incension Academy is 11 minutes from my house. It's a private school. My son can play there. That was the driving factor why I put in for that job. I was like, I can coach my kid at Incension Academy. I can't speak highly enough about the kids that I had there. I had 18 kids total on the team. They gave me everything they had that year that we tried. They had no idea how to run a football program there. They were a basketball school. That was their priority. Football was beyond second fiddle. We tried really hard. Um, Again, they didn't know how to run a football program, and they started it late. I made the schedule. The athletic director didn't. I said, can I just start calling schools? Yeah, if you want to start scheduling games. We played teams from West Virginia. We played teams from Ohio. We played teams. We played a team from out by Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, four and a half hours away. That was a 4A school 
and we they merged. There were two schools that merged. I think it's um, Midwest. No, I, I don't even know the name of the school. I, I but they thumped us really good. We would go. I, I think the most we ever took to a game was eighteen, maybe or nineteen. There were games. The first game I ever coached at Vincentian, we played Weird and Madonna, a Catholic school from West Virginia. I had fifteen kids dressed. Wow! Driving rainstorm, and we only lost twenty four fourteen. I'll never forget <laughs> the guy holding the chains on our sideline. He looked at me at one point and said, "How are you doing? What you're doing with what you got?" And I said, "Sir, I'm just throwing anything at the wall and hope it'll stick." Like that's, <laughs> that's honestly what we're doing. We ended up winning two games. I think there that year uh, we beat a team. Um, Hayden City, West Virginia, like way down into West Virginia. I mean, they had Southern accents. The coaches, they were, they invited us to like a, 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 a church barbecue at the end of the game. They're like, we want to come on over. We could have a, a pizza with you guys after the game. And it was just so weird to experience that. But those Vincentian kids gave us everything that they had. Well, going into the next year, they just decided to up and fold the program. I'm out of a job. What am I going to do? Um, you know, Bishop Canavan, uh, Catholic school in the South Hills. I, I, had, I had a lot of history with them when I coached at Northgate. We had battles with them. Um, my 10-2 and two team, we actually beat Bishop Canavan in the Whippeal quarterfinals 41 to nothing. I mean, we, and I felt they were better than us, and we thumped them that game. So their job opened. It's nine minutes from my teaching job. And again, it's a private school. My son can go there. Those were my two driving forces. Get the job. It was definitely a rebuild. I was the third coach in three years. Um, you know, those kids felt like they were a little jaded, I think, by the other two. Um, so they had some trust is- issues that we had to kind of mend. I feel like it. they never really bought into us, me and my staff. We knew from the get-go we weren't going to be a real good team. We were very young. Um, some of their studs that they still have now were my freshmen, and they were tremendous then. I mean, we had 22 maybe on the roster total, um, but we got we got hit with injuries. And um, the mass majority of my team were freshmen and sophomores. Our very first game in 2019, we played Carlinson, uh, a a public school in the Carnegie Crafton area. It's where Bill Cowher went to high school. Um, they're bigger than us, but it's a rivalry game. I mean, you could throw a stone from the high schools to each other, you know, where Canavan and, and Carlington are. We went in full strength, and for a half, we battled them. I want to say we might have been winning the game at halftime. No joke. Well, my stud freshman slot got hurt. My stud sophomore running back got hurt, and we were done after that. And for the rest of the year, we were never 100% healthy again. We only ended up winning one game. Ironically, it was Northgate. We beat Northgate, and that was a very difficult game for me to coach in because I had such ties to Northgate. Um, the season ends. You know, we, we know we have some work to do, me and my staff. We got some kids coming back. We have meetings with with school administration, and just the meetings just didn't go well. 
we felt on on our end, and I don't think the school felt the meetings went well on their end. And what what I can say, the most politically correct way of saying it is, it just wasn't a right fit for me or them. And they actually relieved me of my duty. And to be honest, I'm very thankful they relieved me of my duty. Um, so I was out of football for a year, 2020, the COVID year. I I took off. It was the first time I was ever out of football. And I realized actually in that year, I can be okay without football. Like, I mean, I am like football is a lot of me, but it's not all of me. And got into hunting, killed my first deer that year. I'm all into that now. Um, you know, so now what I'm doing right now is um, going into the 2021 season, my good friend Jim Ryan, who's Sheila Aries high school coach, wanted me to come on board to be his offensive coordinator. But I have a son coming up who's going to be a seventh grader playing on the middle school team. And I said to Jim, I was like, I'm going to miss a ton of his games and this and that if I'm doing that. I was like, could I be on the middle school staff? And he got a big smile on his face. He goes, we need a middle school head coach. So last year, I became a middle school head coach for the first time ever. And let me tell you, it was one of the, if not the most fun season I ever had. Just because those kids are so invested in you know, blank slates and want to do good. They give me everything that they have, but, but the way I approach it and it's so funny, like, and I tell the parents about it. I only know one way to coach. I've never coached middle school football. I only know how to coach high school, but my job is to train these kids to be high school football players. So that's what I do. I mean, I don't go easy on them. We grind at practice. We grind in conditioning. We lift weights. I run a varsity sophisticated scheme with like reads and, you know, we have scouting reports and game plans and I tediously break down film with them. I send scouts to other games and we get tendencies for like, it's, it's, it's a full production, man. And we actually had a really nice season last year. When I took over, I think they had two wins in the previous, they went one nine, one nine, the two years before I got the job. They had 26 kids on the team to end the 2020 season. Last year, we had 43 kids on the team. We went five and five. If I would have varsity lettered kids, me and my staff figured this out, 38 of our 43 kids played enough, they would have earned a varsity letter. So we're getting kids time. We're making sure they're getting time. I feel we're training them the right way. And all that's going to do is make Sheeler area a better program. Well, fast forward to this year, we have 75 7th and 8th graders signed up for football, which I think is a feather in my cap and my staff too, but it's going to be hard to play 75 kids. But it's cool to see that there's a buzz about what we're doing. Um, Getting to coach my son, you know, I always knew playing for my dad was the highlight of my athletic career he is my hero he is my idol he's my dad i mean he's everything to me. he's superman to me and playing for him meant everything so to have that with my son too and he is my quarterback i knew going into last year it was going to be very hard you know 
a seventh grade. Most in this day and age, it's usually seventh and eighth grades. It's one team. Well, most of the eighth graders get the time and the seventh graders don't. Well, I said from day one, the best of the best is going to play. I got to give my little guy, Max, so much credit. He earned the spot all by himself. And I really believe nobody can say, oh, it was daddy ball. He handed it to him. I mean, I charted every throw in the summer between him and an eighth grader. I mean, hundreds of page after page after page. I'd write incomplete, complete, like both of them. And he he beat him out over the summer. In the scrimmage, I felt he outperformed the eighth grader. So what I did was I split time between them. Max would get a series, the eighth grader would get a series. We were a better team with Max. We were. I felt like the offense moved better. Um, the eighth grade skill package fell in love with him. My son got to find out being the, the quarterback gives you a lot of street cred in a middle school world. So he his popularity shot through the roof and he, you know, he, he's QB1, as they all call him, and stuff like that. He's loving life. But the thing that my little guy has that makes me so proud, he has really developed a work ethic. Like, my son is a good athlete, but he has to work very hard to be good. But he works very hard. Like, he, he lifts hard. He runs hard. He is a program guy. And he's a guy that I think other guys want to follow. And to have that skill set and quality as a quarterback you can't ask for anything more so to coach him i'm very excited about this year i think we could have a very nice eighth grade team middle school team this year here at shaler so that's where i'm at right now i'm still leaving the door open though once he gets into high school i'm not gonna lie i mean i might be letting the cat out of the bag here i have the itch again i do want to be a high school coach again i do want to coach my son where that will be Time will tell. Um, I probably could have had the Titus Hill job this past year. Um, there were some talks going on, but just logistically, it wasn't going to work out for me and my wife with her job and my job and things like that. But just the thought of being Titus Hill's coach, to coach with my dad and have my son wear the brown and gold, that would have been, I mean, for about a month when I was kind of talking to a school board member up there that was a friend of mine, I was excited, but... You know, it is what it is. But if a good opportunity presents itself down here, um, you know, who knows what could happen in a year from now. But um, I really want to do it. But I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this year with my son, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you never you never really know what could happen. So, you know, just enjoy it day by day, game by game, practice by practice. You know, don't take a moment for granted. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. I, I've known you guys for a little while, but I can't – I mean, I kind of remember when he was – almost kind of like born and now he's already in middle school uh it's pretty unbelievable that he's that eight you know he's that age already so you know that's that's pretty awesome and I'm glad that he's doing well and you know he's continuing on with with being a quarterback and loving the game you know that's definitely pretty cool as well uh you know him becoming a legacy guy so that's that's definitely no awesome doubt. so no doubt. um I want to end with this I want to ask you about your ties to you know, Mark Kelso, obviously, um, you know, a great football player, announcer. I believe he's into the racing world now, if I'm NASCAR, not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So my assumption is, obviously, you said your dad coached him, and then, you know, that's how he became your godfather. Is that why you're a Bills fan, too? Is that purely the number one reason why? You hit the nail on the head. So when my dad, he was at Ridgeway and had all that unbelievable success as the defensive coordinator in the early to mid-70s at, at Ridgeway and 
to think of those teams in that day and age, I mean, my uncle played on that would have been a sight to see. I mean, they, they, my uncle Dave stands, Dave Stanley, if anybody in Ridgeway remembers that name, he stands by this. He was like, Keith, we would have state championships in those days. We would have won three state championships. Like nobody was going to touch us. And my dad agrees. Um, but anyway, so he, he thought he was getting his dream job coming back home to North Hills, his high school, I think after his maybe seventh or eighth year at Ridgeway. We moved to Pittsburgh. That's where I was born. Um, Mark Kelso, former, you know, future Buffalo Bill, is on the team at North Hills. And North Hills is a powerhouse. I mean, they were the 1987 National USA Today champs. I mean, there is rich tradition. LeVar Arrington, Penn State lures, you know, played at North Hills. Dad is the co-defensive coordinator at North Hills. I think his first year there, they went 10-1. and His second year, they went 11-0, and Kelso's senior year, but lost in the Whippeal quarterfinals to Bethel Park. Dad and Mark, my dad was a DB guy, so he coached the DBs. Mark, of course, was a safety. They just, you know, you play a sport and know the game, and anybody that has, there are just sometimes coaches that you connect with and hold near and dear to you. And Kelso and my dad just instantly had a bond. And Kelso, you know, has always said that he's always looked at my dad, you know, especially in those days as a father figure. But as their relationship blossomed over the years they're best friends i mean they talk every day on the phone i mean and and to have that tie was so cool i mean the way mark was actually introduced to me as a little infant my dad was a phys ed teacher gets hurt in class blew his knee out playing volleyball with them he's like i gotta get i gotta get somebody to watch the kids like mark kelso as a 17 year old junior in high school this just talks of his maturity he was like coach he was like I'll go to your I'll go to your house. I'll have your wife meet you at the hospital and I'll watch your kids. My mom says there was a knock on the door. There's this small kid with pop bottle thick glasses. Hi, Mrs. Wiley. I'm Mark Kelso. I'm gonna watch your kids. Your husband got hurt, Jim. And that's how it all started. And Mark's been a part of my life ever since. And um yeah, like, you know, his journey through William and Mary, he was drafted by the Eagles in the tenth round of the eighty five draft. He was cut by them. Um, and then, you know, since 1986, as you can see here by my shirt, I have the biggest comeback in NFL history. Oh yeah. 35, three, they came back. Unreal. Um, I've been a Bills fan since Mark got picked up as a free agent with the Bills in 86. And I've been, I mean, if you look at my office here, I mean, I have Bills memorabilia everywhere. I mean, I, I, I love the Bills and, you know, living here in Pittsburgh, you know, we're no, and my son is diehard too. And it's great that they're winning now. You know, but we're known as like the Bills family down here because everybody down here is black and gold. But we have Bills flags flying in our yard off our deck. But it's one hundred percent because of Mark. I mean, he was family to us, and we cheered for him. And as a kid, going to games, him taking me into the locker room and meeting people and. I have so like I have a ball signed by all the '86 Bills. I have Super Bowl programs. My he flew my parents to two or three of the Super Bowls that they were in and put them up. Um, you know all the behind the scenes thing. I have a really cool piece of memorabilia right here. I'll share with you because I know you're kind of into that stuff. This right here was actually Mark's face mask that he wore his rookie year, and if you look at it, you can tell the top bar is bent up a little bit. Oh yeah. 
that was from Mr. Bo Jackson. <laughs> but if everybody can see, see how the face mask, that bar should be straight at the top. I mean, this is like an old 1980s Rydell face mask. Bo Jackson, Mark meets him at the L.A. Coliseum oh. on like the five-yard line. He said he wound up seven yards deep in the end zone. Oh. Had a huge, had a huge get. He said he gave him everything that he had. Oh. He said he never put anything, everything he had into him, right? Gets it seven yards deep in the end zone, gashed down his arm. Bo Jackson just tapped him on the butt and said, nice is done. Oh, and my was gosh. Like, I gave that guy everything I had, <laughs> and he took me for right. And he bent his metal face mask. <sighs> so that's a pretty cool piece of memorabilia. I mean, that was from Mark Kelso's helmet, 1987, maybe. Um, but, yeah, lifelong Bills fan. Um, you know, with Mark going into the broadcasting after that for 13 years, your, your good buddy Jake, my cousin, actually did a shadow day with Mark. That's just the type of guy Mark Kelso oh, yeah. is. Like, he is, um, you know, salt of the earth, the nicest guy. If you were to meet him, you would never think he played in the NFL. He defied, you know, I talked my journey. Mark's 5'10 and a half, yeah. I think maybe played his heaviest, maybe pushing 180. He had no, he had no business playing in the NFL. As a kid, Mark Kelso is my godfather. It's so cool, this and that. Well, as I've gotten older and now know the game better, I'll watch some of the classic games on NFL Network. Mark was an absolute stud to do. I mean, 30, 30 career interceptions. He has the statistics to be in the Hall of Fame, but he'll never get to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was just always kind of the, the unsung hero. Uh, Marv Levy, I have his book sitting right up there. Um, it's called Where Else Would You Rather Be? In the book, he says... Mark was the smartest player he ever coached. Um, you know, he just, he was known for that bubble helmet up in Buffalo, and he still is. But when he got into the broadcasting field, he would start having us up to games too, and that kind of got my son into it. And that's why my son's a diehard fan. So it's kind of cool that, like, my dad has that relationship with Mark. I became a Bills fan because of Mark. My son became a Bills fan because of Mark. And Mark treats my son like gold. I mean, it's it's cute. Like, he'll call him, and I'll answer the phone. He's like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Max. <laughs> That's great. You know, and stuff. So, But, um, yeah, now he's working for NASCAR. I always forget the name of the, the number 47 car. Um, his college roommate, I believe, owns the team and got Mark to come in to help kind of run the business side of things. Because he knows Mark was a pro athlete, yeah. knows that he knows the business side of it. So Mark does a little bit of everything. He really doesn't know NASCAR, but he knows the business side of sports. So that's what he's doing. I mean, he's doing great. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I could talk bills all day long. <laughs> I love my bills. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you could. Um, I One thing I do feel bad for Mark is, you know, and I hate to bring this up, when he announced to when he stopped announcing <laughs> – there was not much, you know, I mean, it was probably still fun, but the Bills weren't super good. And then it feels like as soon as he left, they've gotten so good. And I kind of feel bad that he he pained through all those tough teams, you know. Last year, he experienced them breaking the drought. He got to okay. go down to Jackson yeah. and experience that tough loss. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he just, he, he was good at it, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. That was the thing, like, he was so... He attacked 
broadcasting like he did playing. He was so prepared. And, you know, there were people, there were, there were always going to be critics of oh, yeah. you or what you do and this and that. There were a lot of people in Buffalo that didn't like Mark. They thought he was too technical as an announcer. Yeah. But there were other people that were like, we love how Kelso breaks down the game and talks it like to him. His thing was, I want to tell fans that don't know the game how the game is played. And that's what he would do, you know. So, But we got to meet John Murphy, the voice of the Bills, and, you know, we got a lot of neat behind. Like, my son would go to games. You know, I don't want to go too much longer, but first couple games he would go to, we were in the press box. I mean, he's meeting Brian Baldinger from Fox Sports, and, you know, he's Tiki Barber's or Ronde Barber's uh, Fox mics there, and my son got to pick it up and hold it, and, like, you know, this, and we would always get ushered in this back door because we had like tickets that just got us in VIP in this thing. Well, after Mark stopped broadcasting, the very first game, me, my dad, and Max, it's like our thing. We go to a Bills game or two every year. Um, we go to a game. We're just normal patrons now. And Max is like looking around. He's like, what do you mean we got to stand in line? He's <laughs> like, why aren't we going in that door over there? Oh, yeah. I'm like, nope. I was like, nope, buddy. We're standing in line with everybody else today. But, um, but yeah, we like I said, we were actually in Buffalo this past weekend. We went to a Bisons game, the AAA team. Oh, yeah. We're just big Buffalo. Like, I have kind of hitched my wagon to anything Buffalo. I like the Sabres. I like the Bandits, the the, the lacrosse team. Um, I even like the Bisons, the, the minor league team. We, Me, my dad, and my, my son, we went out to eat at uh, Barville, like the wing spot up there. Had wings. Went to the game, saw a fun game against the Syracuse Mets, and just had a great night. So, uh, but yeah, go Bills, man, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm sure that uh, a lot of people who listen are going to be like, "Yeah, <laughs> they're just going to brush that. They're just going to brush that one off." But no, yeah. you know, it's always been kind of a you know a subtle respect from me towards Bills fans, uh, more so than the Bengals, Ravens, and Browns because you know yeah. Steelers battle them. Uh, you know, and since we're not in the same division, I always was kind of hoping that they would do well and of course you know uh beat tom brady you know <laughs> so yes. i always was hoping for that um you know i have such amount of respect for tom brady but i love to see him <laughs> lose and i think there's a lot of people that they like that as well but 100%. you know tj uh i really appreciate the time man you know it was excellent to have you on the podcast certainly it was a long show um you know i hope everybody listens to it the whole way through but still if you even catch uh you know bits and pieces of this there's a lot of good information and a great story you know tj has an amazing story and you know obviously he's staying in the uh you know the realm of football so for western pa sports blog podcast i'm your host nate stice tj wiley was on this episode until next time guys thanks a lot